Saints, this is the word of the Lord. Give it your full attention. These are the statutes and judgments which you, are, you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has given to you to possess. As long as you live on the earth, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every tree, uh, green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall cut down the engraven images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act this way toward the Lord your God, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution of your hand, your offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of the herd and of your flock. There also you and your households shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall do, uh, you shall not do uh, at all what we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not yet come to the resting place and inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. When you cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit and gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you may live in security. Then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution of your hand and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levi who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Saints, you may be seated. Let's once more give our time over to the Lord. Holy Father, we ask that you help us now as we consider your word. Allow us to understand the deep things of God so that we may be able to worship you the way that you prescribed. Be with preacher and be with those who are hearing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As it was said, saints, we will now begin our series and study on worship, um, liturgy, the things that we do when we gather together. Uh, So, For example, as it was already said, why do we have a public confession of sins? Well, attempt to answer that. Why do we read the Apostles' Creed while we are holding the body and blood of Christ in our hands? We'll attempt to answer that. The preached word, why do we do it? We'll attempt to answer that. Why do we meet on Sundays? And on and on and on and on. So we'll attempt to answer close to every single thing we do when we gather together for corporate worship. And since I think it's fitting for us that the first sermon that we, that we, um, that we have in this series on worship and liturgy is to set the foundation, to set the stage for everything else that which we will talk about. In fact, this is the very foundation of all foundations. If we began with the preached word or if we began with um, our public confession of sin. That is not uh, a, uh, a strong enough foundation for doing what we do and why we do it in a worship service. Saints, the foundation for us to do everything that we do in a worship service, as we will consider today, is God's word. God and God alone dictates, he regulates what we do in a worship service. So if we don't begin with, it is God who regulates our worship service, and if we begin with the preached word, then saints, uh, that may just merely be a subjective opinion, a subjective opinion, the preaching of God's word. But rather, it is God who tells us that we are to hear the word of God, 
We are to hear preachers preach the word of God when we gather together. So saints, this morning I want us to consider Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, with just two points. The first point is the worship of God is the void of all human and worldly invention. The first point is the worship of God is the void of all human and worldly invention. And the second point is the worship of God must be focused on God. The worship of God must be focused on God. Let's consider the first point, and that is the worship of God is the void of all worldly and human invention. And what that simply means is when we gather together for a corporate worship, what we are doing is not coming from the minds of men, but it's coming from the mouth of God. Again, what we do, what churches are prescribed to do, not only this church, but a Roman Catholic church, an Eastern Orthodox church, a Pentecostal church, a Word of Faith, Charismatic, every sort of church you can branch into the umbrella of church. Their worship is to be regulated by the mouth of God and not their own human mind, not by the world's ideas of what we should do in a worship service. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we have explicit command of this. To give you a backstory, the people of Israel are, or people of God rather, are about to cross the Jordan. They're going to enter into the land of Cana and they're going to essentially take over that land. It's going to become the land of the Israelites. And before God's people take over the land of Cana, God gives them specific instructions on how to worship him, but more specifically, on how not to worship him. Again, they're about to take over the land. And before they do, God gives them instruction. God lays this out in verse 1. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully follow in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. Now notice the wording here, saints. God says, these things I say to you, you are to carefully follow. Before you enter the land, you are to carefully follow the things I'm going to say to you. Meaning that these instructions from God aren't to be ignored. These instructions are from God are not subjective. These instructions from God are not the things that you do based upon circumstance. Doing the things that best seem fit. You can do them or not do them. No, Israel is to follow carefully what God is prescribing here. It's almost as if God is saying, as you enter the land, before you do something, make sure you are doing what I commanded. Before you do it, check with what I have said first. Which already says something about worship, does it not? That worship is not based off opinions. That worship is not based off of whatever we seem fit to do. But God has either, or rather, has God either explicitly or implicitly said in his word, this is what you ought to do. And saints, what's the first thing God tells his people to do when they take over the land? What's the first thing? The very first thing he tells them to do. Verse 2 through 4 say this, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you are going to dispossess serve their gods. On high mountains, on the hills, and under every leafy tree. And you shall tear down their altars, and smash their memorial stones to pieces, and burn their ashram in the fire, and cut to pieces the carved images of their gods. And you shall eliminate their name from that place. Now this is interesting, is it not, congregation? That the first thing that God tells these people what to do before they enter the land is not to build a temple... It's not to grow crops for food, not to make yourself comfortable, but the first thing they are to do was essentially this. 
Destroy the false worship of the Canaanites. That's the first thing you are to do. Destroy the false worship of the Canaanites. On high mountains. On the hills. Under every leafy tree. Altars were to be torn down. Memorial stones were to be smashed to pieces. Their carved images of their gods were to be destroyed. In essence, saints, every single memory of false worship was to be destroyed. There was, there was to be no memory of there being false worship, of there being a worship toward a false god where Israel will dwell. And notice, saints, every single square inch, every single place, where God has prescribed for them to enter into the land that is, that is, all of their false worship was to be eliminated. Now we have to ask saints, why would God command to destroy the false things, the false worship of the Canaanites? Why, why would that be the first thing that they do? Why is that the very first thing? Well, the answer simply is that this, saints. That the proper worship of God matters. That is why the first thing that the Israelites are to do once they enter the land is to destroy all the false worship. Because the first thing, and hear me, boys and girls, young people. Because God cares about proper worship. <clears throat> and we see this answer in verse 4. After God has given the command to destroy all the false worship in Canaan, he says... You shall not act this way toward the Lord your God. What they are doing, you are not to do, essentially. If there's anything that God wants to make clear, if there's anything that he wants to establish, it's simply this, that God's people will worship God in the way that God has commanded. Again, young people, the worship of God and how God has prescribed his worship is only by the way that he has commanded us to worship him. <clears throat> and saints, this is not the only place where God shows how serious he takes proper worship. Consider with me Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, we have the story of the golden calf. We read that when the people saw Moses delay to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what he has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that they were in, that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and, and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, behold, now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that they, or that I may make a great nation of you. Did you see, saints, how serious God takes worship, even in verse 10, that God does not give people passes for false worship? Notice, saints, that even after these people have constructed, or rather Aaron has constructed this golden calf, and these people are, are bringing burnt offerings. We're bringing all these things to them. It says that that's, they rose up in play. 
that it didn't pay, it didn't pay them any mind that what they were doing was not prescribed by God. They thought that what they were doing was right. And so they went off with their day, knowing, or rather, ignorantly, worshiping God in the way that he's not prescribed. And what's the result? What's the result, congregation? Hear me now. What's the result of disobeying God? Death. Death. That is the result of not giving to God proper worship. Death. The story of Israel in the Golden Cap teaches us that we can't worship God on our own terms and after the fashion of our own liking. And brothers and sisters, what makes the Golden Calf story so idolatrous was not that the people were worshipping a new God. They thought that they were worshipping the one true God of Israel. But what made the golden calf and what made this people's worship so idolatrous was that they did something that God has not prescribed for them to do. God did not prescribe for them to construct a golden calf. That's the error of the ways. It's not merely just them constructing something and worshiping that, but rather it's God has not said to do this. That's the error. One theologian said the prohibition of carved altars makes it clear that the root of the problem is not the carving of a tangible token of the presence of God, but the fashioning of such a token without the express command of God. If God told us to make a golden calf and to worship it, then we would do that. But God has not said, make a golden calf. That's the problem. Has God said, do this? Has God said, do that? <clears throat> Again, saints, the carving of the image to represent God is not the main problem, but the main problem was these things were not done at the direction of God, but rather at the direction of the worshiper. The worshiper is the one that dictated and regulated their worship. The worshiper. <clears throat> we see the same example in the story of Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus 10.1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their representative firepans, respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu offered to the Lord that which the Lord had not commanded. The Bible says the incense offering that these boys offered up, or rather young men offered up to the Lord, was strange fire. Meaning it was foreign and unusual to God. And because of Nadab and Abihu's rebellious worship to God, immediately God judged them by fire. And saints, what's important to know with Nadab and Abihu is that they were the sons of Aaron. They were from the bloodline of Moses. Abayu was next to line to be the high priest. They were priests. What this teaches us, saints, and I, and, and I hope that this is penetrating in your soul, what this teaches us is no matter who you are, God is not a respecter of persons. If you offer to him improper worship, he will deal with you justly. Doesn't matter if you're wearing a suit. Doesn't matter if you're wearing the newest and latest, greatest cologne. Doesn't matter if your hair is the best. Doesn't matter if you're this or you're that. If you offer to God improper worship, no matter what you look like or your title, God is going to deal with you. Now, so how are we to worship God, saints? How are we to worship him? Consider the words of our Lord in John Four verses 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Saints, what kind of worship is God seeking after? You worshiping in spirit and in truth. 
If you want to offer to the Lord proper worship from the mouth of the Lord, he says, God is seeking those who worship him, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. From the mouth of our Christ, the way we offer proper worship to God must be in accordance to God's word. And this is brought up in our text, saints. Verse 5, the Lord says, But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and you shall come there. What this verse teaches us, saints, is the worship of God is according to how he chooses. The worship of God is in accordance to how he chooses. The worshiper does not choose how he worships God. It is God who chooses how the worshiper worships him. Congregation, we are not to approach worship as many do in our church. Not this church, generally, the broad church. Described in verse 8, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Meaning, saints, worship is not doing that which we think is holy. That which we think is correct. That which we think will make us feel that God is present. That's not what worship is about. That's not the basis of worship. Yet, sadly, friends, this is the dogma of many churches in the world. In many churches today, corporate worship has been replaced with a term you might have heard of before, worship experience. There's no such thing as corporate worship anymore, but rather it's an individual worship experience. And men and women have come up with many creative ways so that the worshiper can, quote, encounter God. From the lighting, which rivals a movie theater, to hour-long Music that use improper instruments and emotionally charged lyrics to women dancing in the front with flags to skits to solo music. These churches testify to the words of John Calvin who said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. That is to say, we are so sinful, friends, that if we were God, what we see in these churches is how we would tell worshipers to worship us. If we were God, we would want the elaborate worship. If we were God, we would want our music to be as loud, to be as uh, rhythmic, to have the best guitar solos and the best drummers and the best ones who are leading the vocals. And sadly, friends, many churches have succumbed to worshiping God in a way that, in a way not that He has prescribed, but in a way that's exciting. It's more exciting this way. You get more of an experience this way. And saints, in doing so, they think that God will be present. In worshiping in the way that they do, they think that they are getting closer to God. In worshiping, they think that they, in the way that they do, they think that they are uniting their worship with the worship in the saints in heaven. But saints, they are not encountering God. Because what they are doing is they are violating verse 5 of our text. Only the place which the Lord will choose is where he will dwell. Only the place which the Lord will choose is where he will dwell. Now, many may object to this way of thinking. There are many Christians who would say that the worship of God is not to be tied down with do's and don'ts. But rather the worship of God is to be free. And creative and expressive. There are many who say, in a worship service, we express to God how much we love Him. Again, in a worship service, we 
express to God how much we love Him. But saints, which offering of worship is more pleasing to God? Which offering of worship is more acceptable to God? Which offering of worship says to God, I love you. The one who says that God has given me the liberty to express how much I love him in a worship service. Is it that type of worship where you're free to do whatever you want? Or the one who says God is to regulate how we worship him. Which one shows how much we love God more? Now, you, it would seem the former, right? It would seem the one who says, or the, the type of worship that says, I love you more, is the worship that is free and creative. Is the worship that's exciting, elaborate. But saints, remember the words of our Christ. In John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning there's, there is a link between obedience and love. The way you show love is by obeying. That verse doesn't just pertain to our daily lives outside the church, but especially inside the church. Inside the church. But let me give you an example. Imagine, say, it's on your birthday. All of your friends came with all of these gifts that filled up the whole house. And now as you were opening the presents, you began to realize something. That all the presents that they're giving you are things that you don't like. But rather the things that they like. So, for example, if on my birthday my wife gives me a present, and she gives me maybe a million presents, and she gives me presents of boots, and hats, and makeup, and perfume. How disrespected would you feel? How, how off-putting would that be? That they are giving to you something that they want, and not what you want. Say so it's a heart that loves God, will give to God what he has commanded, what he has prescribed. Friends, there are many who might say, that, well, saying that the worship of God is to be regulated by God is what the Pharisees taught. Because the Pharisees were all about the law. They're all about regulating your life according to the law. There might be some that might say, you're being a legalist. By saying we can't have guitar solos, we can't have solo music, we we can't have women in the front with flags. Saints, hear me now. That we are not legalists. We we are not the Pharisees. In desiring to uphold God's word and what He has commanded in a worship service. In fact, I would argue that those churches who offer improper worship and unholy worship to God, do not worship God in the spirit, but rather they're worshiping God in the spirit of the Pharisees. That they are the Pharisees and not us. Now how can I say and make such claim? Consider the word, uh, the words of our Lord in Mark 7 verses 6 through 8. And mind you, he's speaking here to the Pharisees. He says, but he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Yet neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Notice the words, saints. That a Pharisee is not one who upholds God's law. A Pharisee is the one who upholds the traditions of men. A Pharisee is the one who does not do the law of God. But rather, in neglecting the law of God, thinking they are offering proper worship to God, what they are really doing is, they are keeping up with their traditions. Who's the Pharisee? Who is the Pharisee in wanting to uphold God's word? 
It is not the one who upholds God's word. It is the one who upholds their tradition. And saints, what is the tradition of those who are in the church now? We need the worship. We need the music to go on for at least an hour. You need at least five slow songs, four fast songs. You need an altar call at the end. The preacher cannot speak about specific things, but must keep it more general. Can't talk about this or that. You must have a really good daycare. You must have a slide outside. Saints, these are the ones who worship in the spirit of the Pharisees. But we, saints, you, saints, of Reformation Bible Church, you are worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Because you're upholding the word of God. Congregation, the one who says that they will worship God in the way that he has commanded expresses more love for God than the one who says that they will worship God in accordance to their own creativity, in accordance to their own human inventions. Saints, we are not left to our own human devices on how to worship God. But imagine if we were. Imagine if we were left to our own human devices and our own preferences on how we are to offer worship to God. And sadly, saints, we don't have to imagine because it's played out in many churches today. There are some churches who have a service just for those who like the older style of hymns. You have, that's usually the, the 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock crowd. And then you, if you come at 11, there's another service where you have songs that are more contemporary, more up, upbeat. This is what began in the 60s and 70s called the worship wars. There are many churches today who have worship services at different times. There's a service at 8. There's a service at 10. There's a service at 12. There's a service at 12. Saints, that might seem like wisdom. It is not biblical. No church is to have church at different times. But as Paul says to the members and to the church at Corinth, in chapter 11, when you come together, God is not prescribed for you to meet at 8 o'clock, at 4 o'clock, at 9 o'clock, at 10 o'clock, and then you pick which one that you want. Saints, why is this wrong? Because it creates more disunity than unity. There is no unity in a body of Christ that meets four times in five hours. There is no unity there. In fact, what you are doing, saints, is you are promoting individualism. If you sleep in on Saturday, it's okay. Or on Sunday, it's okay. Because we got a service at 11. It promotes more self-service. But also, saints, what you're doing is you no longer have one congregation. But now you have two congregations. Now you got three congregations. God forbid, now you've got four congregations. Saints of God, that is not how God has prescribed for us to worship him. When the church meets, whether it be 8 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock, that's when the church meets. And friends, when we serve in the landscape of the church as a whole, if there is any reformation that needs to be had in our day and age, It is a reformation of worship. If there is any reformation that we need, it is a reformation of worship. Has God said to do this? And saints, let me also say that even for many of us, although we can have all the externals right, even within our own hearts, saints, there needs to be a reformation of worship. Not just the outward appearance of worship, but also the inward heart posture of worship. For many of us, there needs to be a reformation. We need to consider, as it was read this morning by Pastor Antonio, what we are doing is not an experience. You get an experience at Disneyland. You get an experience when you're hungry and you drive it in and out. And you eat. 
you get an experience like what you will have after the service and we have good food. You get those experiences then. This is a unique time of God's dwelling. There's private worship. Praise God for that. There is, there is family worship. Praise God for that. But God has not said that he will be with us uniquely during private and family worship. But he has said that he'll be with us uniquely at corporate worship. What we are doing, saints, is far different than what we can do any other time throughout the week. And we need to grab hold of that. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Let's consider the second and last point, saints, and that is true worship must be focused on God. True worship must be focused on God. <clears throat> this truth is brought out to us in verse 5 of our text. The Lord says, But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and you shall come there. Congregation, young people, this text teaches us the main reason for worship. What is the main reason for worship? Worship is about seeking the Lord. Young people, worship is about seeking the Lord. Since, think of who you are. Many of us who are a little bit more inclined know that we are rational animals, that we are human beings, but fundamentally who we are, we are servants. We are servants. Even if there was no fall, man is still a servant. Even without the presence of sin, man is still a servant. Ever since the Garden of Eden, man has worshipped God. And if man had never sinned, if man had never fallen into sin, if man would have obtained the beatific vision, the creator Sabbath rest, man would still be obligated to worship God. Man would still be in service to God. And saints, when we consider corporate worship, this fundamental reality of who we are comes to full expression. The fundamental reality that you, saint, have been created to worship God comes to full expression every single Sunday. Each Lord's Day, our single aim is not to worry about whether the preacher will preach a good sermon this morning or in the afternoon. A day like today, our single aim is not to be worried about whether, forgive me, Norma brought the fajitas or whether Mary brought the uh, uh, roast or whatever she brings or if such and such brought this or such and such brought that. Or what we would do after a service. Or also even worse. If we will get anything out of the service. If we will get anything out of the service. Saints, our primary aiming is to do that which you were created for. Again, apart from prescription, apart from God saying in his word... You owe me worship. Apart from that, via creation, via being a human, being via being an image bearer of God, what we do in our primary aim in corporate worship is to give worship to God, which means, saints, that corporate worship, first and foremost, is not about us. That the worship of God is not about us. Young people, if you if you go off to college, go off to somewhere else, and you don't ever rejoin or come back to this church, remember this truth, that worship is not about you. Worship is about God. And wherever you go, wherever church you decide to park yourself at, ask yourself first and foremost, is the worship here at this congregation about God? Or about man. That's what you ask yourself. It's common in Reformed churches to speak about worship as the means of grace. 
That's to say, when the church gathers, God pours grace into the souls of the congregation through the preached word, through the sacraments, through, through prayer, through the reading of the word. And saints, praise God that he pours grace into our souls. But corporate worship is not about the means of grace. Primarily. Corporate worship is not about receiving grace in the preached word, receiving grace in the sacraments. That's not what corporate worship is about. Rather, corporate worship, saints, is about giving to God worship. If we think that corporate worship is about the means of grace and only about the means of grace, then, saints, what we have done is we have turned corporate worship about us receiving. We're the receiver in worship. Rather than God being the receiver. Rather than God being the one whom we've come to worship. Corporate worship, if we only consider it from the vantage point of what we receive, turns into something we get from God. Rather than us giving to God. Corporate worship turns into our jobs. You work Yes, you may like your job, but the reason why you work is to receive. You receive a paycheck. Saints, we don't worship to receive grace, first and foremost. We worship to give honor, praise, glory to our God. And the beautiful thing is when we do so, he gives to us grace. He gives to us grace. When we gather for corporate worship, saints... It is not for you to receive, but rather for you to give. Corporate worship is not about us giving to God, not because God needs us. God doesn't need our worship, but simply it is our duty to worship God. Natural reason tells us, saints, that we, because we are created in God's image, owe a due proportion of our time to God. We owe worship to God. Even consider the word worship, which Pastor Antonio will, will touch upon next Sunday morning. The word worship essentially means that we are viewing God as worthy, as someone who is worthy of our praise. Saints, again, worship is about God. And I feel that in many churches today, because there is so much individualism when it comes to corporate worship, that these churches They don't take their instructions from God, but rather they take their instruction from the world. Many of these churches are taking their instruction from the world. The world promotes individualism. The the world promotes self-service. The model of the world is do whatever is best for you. Do whatever is best for you. And saints, this influence can be seen in churches all across the world. What service time would you like to go to? We're not doing it here, but there are many, even reformed churches. What do you want, grape juice or you want wine? Which one do you want? Saints, God warns us not to be influenced by the world when it comes to worship. Verse 30 of our text, the Lord says, do not inquire about their gods. After you destroyed everything, don't inquire about them. Saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise? There is to be no influence of the world upon the church in corporate worship. Zero influence. We shouldn't even ask what the world is doing and maybe we should incorporate that in our worship service. Saints, the problem with being influenced by the world when it comes to corporate worship is that it takes the focus off God and places the focus on man. Because, saints, naturally, it's hard for us to remove ourselves from the picture. Naturally, it is hard for us to remove ourselves from the picture. We want, naturally, to things for things to be about us. If you don't like this church, it's okay. There's one five miles down the road. You can go to that one. If you don't like this style of preacher, it's okay. 
About 15 minutes away, there's another preacher you can go to. If your kids don't like that class, it's okay. There's another class they can go to. If you don't like this type of worship music, it's okay. You can go somewhere else. We want things to be like about us. We want the whole service to be orientated and orbit around our universe. This is what we want. There are many Christians in church who say, oh, how I love when that's one singer, when it's time for, for, for her to give that solo. Oh, I love when she sings that part because it ministers to me. Oh, I love that part in the service when those kids go up and they do those little skits and they sing, you know, off tune and all that and one misbehaves and all that. I love it because it ministers to me. It does. It ministers to me. Oh, how I love this or how I love that. It ministers to me. Saints, what's the problem with that? Essentially, man becomes the audience for worship and not God. It is man that becomes the audience. But saints, when you worship God, God is the audience. It's okay, saints, for us to love these specific things that we do during a worship service. There are many of you that love the things that we do during a worship service, and that's fine. But saints, when do we ever say, I love what God loves? I love what God loves. And congregation, this is why God regulates his worship. Why does God regulate his worship? Why does God prescribe to us in his word? Why does God take worship so serious? It's because it's so that you can love what he loves. So that you can love what he loves. So that we can delight in what's most pleasing to him. And saints, this is what the Lord says in verse 12. What is corporate worship for? After the people have entered the land and have gone through all of what the Lord had commanded. Notice what God says. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice. Before the Lord your God. When you do things right. When you offer to me proper worship. You will rejoice. Now saints as we close. Let us remember the first two points of this sermon as we. Go along and consider the various things we do in a worship service. First, that true worship of God is to be devoid of all worldly and human invention. And saints, I challenge you, as we are going along in our worship service, to put the elders to the test. Are what we doing in a worship service either explicitly or implicitly implied in God's word? Put the elders to the test. And see whether or not we are worshiping Christ in the way that God has prescribed for us to worship him. Saints, I don't have authority when it comes to how we worship God. Pastor Antonio does not have authority on how we worship God. But Christ, who is the head of the church, he has only the authority to command to us what we are to do in a worship service. And saints, I pray that we are worshiping God in the way that he's prescribed. I pray that we are offering to God, not worldly and human inventions, but we are offering to him that which he has prescribed. And secondly, saints, the worship of God is simply put about God. The worship of God is about God. Now, congregation, What's the great benefit of worshiping God in the way that he's prescribing his word? What's the great benefit for worshiping God in the way that he's prescribed? And saints, the great benefit is simply this. That we can have great confidence. We can have great confidence knowing that our worship is not in vain. Isn't that the one thing that we would hate? That if God was to speak to us after we, you've been coming to Reformation Bible Church for so long and he says, you know what, everything that you're doing, I don't accept. Imagine how you would feel. But saints, 
when you worship God in the way that he's prescribed, you can have confidence that what you are doing every Sunday morning and every Sunday afternoon, God is accepting. God is looking down at Reformation Bible Church. And he sees us as a pleasing aroma. Isn't that wonderful, saints? When God, or rather when us, when we worship God in the way that he has said, when we worship God, that's in line with his word. And saints, let me also add, lastly, that I don't want you to get, to, I don't want you to get confused that although, yes, we are were, we were going to go through what we do in corporate worship and all of the externals of what we do, I don't want you to get confused that the externals are merely what God cares about. But he cares about the internal as well. He cares about your heart posture. He cares about whether or not you are grabbing hold of God's word as the preached word goes forth. If you are truly contemplating the broken body of the Lord and the shed blood for you, if you are repenting of your sins when it's time for corporate repentance, God cares about your heart posture. Let us not be confused with the motions of worship as the real thing, but rather let us say that what we are doing outwardly corresponds to what we feel about you and think about you inwardly, God. And saints, I hope and I pray that at the end of this series that we will come to a better a better understanding of corporate worship, but also, as it was said this morning by Pastor Antonio when he was reading that book, we will understand that what we are doing is so unique. What we are doing is so far beyond that which we can comprehend, that God meets with his people. So saints, let's continue to pray that God will help us as we go along and consider the worship and the proper worship of God. Let's pray.